Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferrens. The new leader in steel labor. Another possible strike in the works. Hospitality employees in Las Vegas could be walking out. And today on the show, the government affairs director of the AFL-CIO and what one retired pilot is doing for the airline division of the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. Welcome to the Thursday, September 28th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least five platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, national website AFLCIO.org. And the big topic, and you know, Bill's been talking about this for the past couple of months. We're talking about the federal government shutting down this weekend. Now, there was a deal. Remember, Back in May, June, when they were trying to uh, increase the debt ceiling and Kevin McCarthy and the White House were in talks to increase that. And they supposedly, key word is supposedly, had a deal. Well, apparently, Kevin, Kevin McCarthy, that is, is reneging on that agreement. And it's all because of about 40 people in the so-called Freedom Caucus. So we're talking, what, less than 10% of the makeup of the House? And they're pretty much uh, pulling Kevin's strings right now. They want to restart construction of a border wall between the U.S. and Mexico and uh, make a lot of cuts of more than $150 billion, which would mean, now a lot of mainstream media is not talking about these cuts. Who's going to be affected by these cuts? Well, I can run down a few for you, and I'm sure Bill will have more. Housing subsidies for the poor by 33%. Fuel subsidies for low-income families by more than 70%. Funding for low-income schools, low-income schools, by nearly 80%. And force more than 1 million women and children off nutritional assistance. That's what they're trying to do right now. In the meantime... The Republicans want to preserve tax cuts that happened during the Donald Trump years, which primarily benefited the wealthy and corporations. Bill's going to expand on all of this. In the meantime, we're talking about implementing the policies of the first two years of the Biden administration. The Inflation Reduction Act, the CHIPS Act, the Bipartisan Infrastructure Act. They're also trying to... uh, work on immigration, but that's not going anywhere because nobody seems to be talking to the Biden administration about doing anything that possibly would work. So we'll get into all this with uh, Bill Samuel as our first guest. Later in the show, we're going to check in with uh, Roy Leggett. Roy is an interesting individual. He's a uh, retired airline pilot, worked with uh, United Airlines for many, many years, and he started a company that deals with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. He's contracted with the airline division, which is a pretty big division in the Teamsters. 80,000 airline industry workers. We're talking mechanics, customer service, ramp agents, 
stock clerks, dispatch personnel, flight attendants, as well as uh, pilots. And uh, what Roy has put together is a company dealing with assistance to members of the airline division if they have any situation dealing with mental health, thoughts of suicide. And this is just one in a series of interviews that we have done this month. Why? Because September is Suicide Prevention Month. So he's going to talk specifically about what he's doing with the Teamsters. And this gives me a good opportunity to tell you what we're airing on the show tomorrow. Now, I just mentioned a number of uh, things that we've done on the show, and I counted one, two, three, about eight or nine guests that we featured on the show, starting off with Dr. Sally Spencer Thomas, who's been working with a number of unions on suicide prevention. And by now, you probably know that suicide in the construction industry is about four to five times higher than in any other industry in the country. So we talked to um, Jimmy Williams, Jr., the Painters and Allied Trades, and there was Jamie Becker from our presenting sponsor, Lyuna, Henry Howard, who's a deputy communications director for the American Legion. That suicide is off the charts. So what we have done is compiled comments from all the individuals that we featured, not all of them, most of them, in tomorrow's show. Because, uh, you know, we're pretty much ending the month of September here. So uh, you might want to check that out. And that'll be podcast, of course, on awfpodcast.com. Now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. The United Steelworkers International Board this week appointed Dave McCall as the union's new international president. He'll fill the remainder of Tom Conway's term. Tom, sadly, passed away this week after just four years as the president of the Steelworkers. Dave said this in a press release, we're all mourning a great loss, but even in our sadness, our union is strong, thanks in large part to Tom's leadership and vision. Now, now we'll move forward the only way we can, together. Together, we will honor Tom's legacy, as together we fight for justice and fairness for working families. Dave McCall served as a USW International Vice President of Administration since July of 2019. In that role, he bargained contracts with some of the union's largest employers in steel, aluminum, rubber, and uh, other industries. And before his election as Vice President, he served for 21 years as the Director of District 1, a job in which he represented 70,000 USW members and retirees throughout the state of Ohio, and he bargained some of the union's biggest contracts. He began his career as a union activist with USW Local 6787 at the Burns Harbor Integrated Steel Facility. That's in northwest Indiana. There he worked as a millwright, served the local union in various positions, including grievance chairman and vice president. He's a great guy. He really is. I got really close to Dave when I started doing the show 25 years ago, back in 1998, when he was District 1 director. And that was a horrible time for Steele because we saw bankruptcy after bankruptcy after bankruptcy. I mean, the old J&L Steele, Bethlehem Steele, LTV, they all just like fell down like dominoes. 
And uh, because of leadership of Dave McCall and people like Leo Girard and Tom Conway, we have a steel industry today. We got a comment here from the uh, Alliance for Retired Americans. Robert Roach Jr. is the president, and uh, he, too, is talking about the passing of Tom Conway. The labor movement has lost a champion of workers and a relentless advocate for retirees with the passing of Tom. Tom was not just a leader for steelworkers. He was a force for all union members and older Americans. His work as an executive board member of the Alliance for Retired Americans reflected that dedication for a number of years. Latest on the UAW, we had two striking auto workers, union members, who are in the hospital today in Michigan after they and three of their colleagues were hit by a car while demonstrating outside a GM plant near Flint, Michigan. Police say the five workers who suffered minor injuries were struck about four in the afternoon this week. This was on Tuesday while blocking one of the exits to GM's Flint Processing Center. The driver, who was an employee at the plant, actually drove through the picket line before leaving the scene. And uh, police are investigating right now. That uh, plant opened back in 1958 and employs just shy of uh, 500 people. Crazy, I'm telling you. Meanwhile, uh, Sean Fain, (laughs) love this guy. He took a swipe at uh, former President Trump saying he serves a billionaire class. And this was right before Trump's visit to Detroit yesterday, where he showed up at a non-union shop. You know, he's been saying, I got your back. And from what I'm reading, too, there were a couple of signs in the audience. You know, union members for Trump, UAW members for Trump. The people that were holding those signs were not members of the union, nor were they auto workers. He just handed out the signs. When asked on CNN about the former president's trip to Detroit, Fain said, I see no point in meeting with him because I don't think the man has any bit of care about what our workers stand for and what the working class stands for. He serves a billionaire class, and that's what's wrong with this country. Fain said it's pathetic irony that Trump held a rally at a non-union plant in Macomb County, Michigan. He went on to say, all you have to do is look at his track record. His track record speaks for itself. In 2008, during the Great Recession, he blamed UAW members. He blamed our contracts for everything that was wrong with these companies, which is a complete lie. Fain pointed at Trump's discussion during his 2016 presidential campaign to move jobs in the Midwest to the South which he said would make people beg for their jobs back at lower wages. And you know, some of that happened. The ultimate show, how he cares about our workers, was back in 2019 when he was president of the United States. Fain said, where was he then? Our workers at General Motors were on strike for 60 days for two months. They were out there on the picket lines. I did not see him hold a rally. And guess what? I didn't see him stand up on the picket line. Contrast that with what President Biden did this week. He joined the picket line 
with uh, Union Auto Workers on Tuesday, becoming the first sitting president to do that. Can you believe that? The first sitting president in our country to do that. Canadian auto workers say General Motors will be their next target after members ratified a new three-year labor contract with Ford, Unifor, which represents about 4,300 workers at three GM facilities in Canada, said it reached a strong deal with Ford and now will try to negotiate a pattern agreement with General Motors. By the way, the workers at Ford of Canada ratified that new deal, which raises base hourly pay for production workers by almost 20%. That's over three years. And by more than 25% for trade workers. It also gives permanent workers a $10,000 bonus and adds a cost of living adjustment, a mechanism that adjusted wages in line with inflation. And we may see another strike here very soon. Members of the Culinary and Bartenders Union have voted by 95%. 95% authorize a citywide strike after tens of thousands of hospitality workers packed the Thomas and Mack Center on campus at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, in two sessions to cast their votes. Now... Culinary and Bartenders Union's Negotiating Committee is authorized to call a strike at 22 casino resort properties on the Strip between the largest employers, MGM Resorts, Caesars, and Wynn Encore Resorts. The Culinary Union, which is now authorized to call for a strike at any date or time, has not yet set a strike deadline and continues negotiating in good faith with all gaming companies. This union, by the way, represents 60,000 hospitality workers in Nevada and 53,000 are based in Las Vegas. They could pretty much shut that city down. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO coming up next. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. The Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council, consisting of eight iron worker local unions in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Michigan. We build the skylines and bridges along the Great Lakes. With more work than ever before, the Great Lakes District Council is actively searching out the next great iron worker. Whether it's building the next Intel plant or constructing a bridge to safely connect our great cities along the lake. So join the Iron Workers Great Lakes District Council today. 
Find out how and learn more about the council by visiting IWDistrictCouncil.com. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Communication Workers of America. You can find more at CWA-Union.org. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Steelworkers. You can find more at usw.org. This segment of America's Workforce is brought to you by Survey and Ballot Systems. SBS has been providing unions with secure and flexible election options for over 30 years. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Federation of Professional and Technical Engineers. You can find more at ifpte.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. You can find more at oh.aft.org. Let's go to uh, Washington right now. Welcome one of our longtime supporters and contributors to America's workforce. That would be Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO, getting ready for a government shutdown. But we're talking off the air about the uh, sudden passing of Tom Conway of the United Steelworkers, president of the uh, Steelworkers Union for four years, and a lot of people in shock. Bill Samuel, I understand you knew him pretty well. Any, uh, any thoughts about Tom Conway? Well, he was a great labor leader, um, but also a very kind man. Um, I staffed him. He was the chair of the AFL-CIO Legislation and Policy Committee. Uh, So I spent quite a bit of time with him over the years. He was the secretary-treasurer of the Steelworkers under Lior Girard, who also, uh, while he was president, chaired that same committee. So I have uh, a lot of history with both of them. But uh, we're going to miss Tom. He was a very kind man. Very level-headed, but a great leader, real visionary. He brought the steel workers, uh, you know, uh, along in a, at a very tough time when manufacturing was declining, and he found ways to invest in manufacturing to get politicians to listen to him and to steel workers. And uh, yeah, he was he was just a one of a kind. He certainly was, and he was a big supporter of America's workforce. I mean, I, I come well. My dad worked in uh, U.S. Steel for over 40 years i worked for 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 them for a couple of summers when i was going to college and um and i got really acquainted with the with the with the steel workers union early on in my life and brought them to america's workforce and tom was one of those guys that didn't even hesitate you know let's get the sponsorship going let's renew it let's boost it because it's important for that worker's voice that's the kind of guy he was so what we're going to do on the show by the way Next Tuesday, we're compiling some of the uh, interviews we did with Tom, and we're going to re-air them in a special tribute. And I got an op-ed from him. He was a big, big uh, advocate of writing to newspapers to try to get the workers' point of view. And uh, he did a really good op-ed on the importance of getting a first contract. Because, you, you know, there's a lot of organizing going on, as you know, Bill. But you yeah. got to get that first contract, you know, and that's very, very difficult. Right. About a, in about a third of the successful organizing drives, uh, the union never reaches a first contract. 
then yeah. there's you know the, then there's the opportunity for the employer to try to decertify the union. Um, yeah, it, it is. A, it, he was actually known as a really strong negotiator. I forgot to mention that. Sort of a quiet man, you know, not full of bluster and not loud, but he could negotiate like anybody's business. And I've, I've been told that he really was a force at the bargaining table. Yeah, we're going to miss him. We're going to miss him. By the way, Dave McCall, they, uh, we announced this earlier on the show today, Dave McCall, who used to be the District 1 director for Ohio, and it's now Ohio and Michigan. He is going to take over uh, Tom's term here. Good guy, too. That's right. Very good guy. That's right. All right, Bill, let's uh, switch gears here a little bit. The big story, everybody's talking about it, is the possibility of the government shutting down this weekend. 72 hours away? Yeah. Saturday yeah, yeah. night at midnight. Uh, government runs out of money. I'm not sure we'll notice much on Sunday, but certainly come Monday morning we will. There are 2.1 million federal employees. Uh, I don't think any of them will get paid starting Monday. Uh, many will have to go to work, though. They're considered essential. If they're in law enforcement, the military, air traffic controllers, you know, people for whom uh, we really can't not go to work uh, to protect public safety, but they're not going to get paid. There are 50,000 in Ohio, by the way, federal employees. Um, all, all told, uh, they said there's about 2.1 million federal workers. There's another 2 million paid by the federal government on contract. So they're not federal employees, but they're working for the federal government on contract. They will also not get paid. And by the way, uh, well, their employer might pay them, but not with dollar, not with money they get from the federal government. So they're going to pay them out of their pocket. And if they stop paying them, they don't get paid back the way federal employees do. You know, we've had several shutdowns now in the last few decades, and Congress does uh, appropriate money to repay federal workers who weren't paid during the shutdown, so they get back pay. That doesn't happen necessarily for contract workers. You know, if their company. Uh, stops getting paid by the federal government. They stop paying their workers. They don't. They don't necessarily get paid back for that time. So they could go weeks without a paycheck. It's. It's really. A, it's a. A, a very uh, clear signal that the, our Congress, run by Republicans, the House of Representatives, is totally dysfunctional. Uh, Kevin McCarthy is not running that body. It's running him, particularly the extremists in his party. And there's at this point, it looks pretty dismal that there's not going to be a deal by midnight. Saturday. And anything could happen. Obviously, McCarthy could come to his senses. Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene could wake up on Friday morning and decide it's time to act responsibly. But there's certainly no history of that happening. Is, is Trump pretty much pulling the strings right now? And, and th- we're talking about this Freedom Caucus, which is about, what, 40 members yeah, of Congress? Yeah, about 48 they're, members they're, of, exactly, they're the, the most right wing. They listen to Trump. Clearly, you know, when he speaks, they listen uh, they, many of them don't think that many of them think shutting down their government is a good thing. I mean, that just shows you that they're living in another world. Uh, they don't realize that American people, you know, depend on the federal government to to operate. Um, just think of, you know, the, the kinds of things that they do from, uh, you know, protecting the border, uh, law enforcement, health care, education, uh, you know, protecting, uh, you know, our nuclear uh, uh, energy industry, uh, this, just all kinds of things, workplace safety. The federal government does a lot. Um, but these, but this group of, you know, right-wing uh, Republicans, they're just either unaware of it or they just, they're in denial and they, they are listening to Trump who thinks the government shut down. You know, listen, he thinks chaos is good for him. 
Somehow yeah. he will you know, swoop in, save the day. So he needs chaos. He, Donald Trump is nobody if, if the government is smug, uh, functioning smoothly. Um, and so he and his, his supporters on Capitol Hill are probably hoping for a shutdown. Now, let's let's tear this apart a little bit, because one of the big issues the Republicans have been claiming for years is border security. You know, Trump had to build the the border wall, which is unfinished. They want to finish that. It's my understanding that the people that provide the security. In fact, we had a we had a good conversation the other day with Doreen Greenwald, who heads the uh, National Treasury Employees Union, and they represent those uh, Border Patrol agents. Now, they would probably be deemed essential, but they won't get paid. And there's going to be a lot of people in that category as well. Now, and by the way, you know, when, 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 when they're told to come to work and don't get paid, the last yeah. time this happened, a lot of air traffic controllers called in sick, which you okay. can well understand. I mean, they either had to take on another job so they could pay their bills or they were just angry and frustrated and decided not to come to work. So the idea that everybody's going to show up and uh, despite the fact that they're not getting paid is not something we can count on. I just want to point that out. So, so okay, let, let's take that over to the border patrol yeah. there. So they could call in sick and jeopardize protections between the U.S. and Mexican countries, right? Is, am I saying this correctly? Exactly. This is a totally self-inflicted wound. You know, at the very least... Congress can do what it has ordinarily done, which is pass what they call a continuing appropriation resolution while they debate the spending bills for the next year. So they keep government operating at the current level. Everybody who's on the job stays on the job. And they just that can continue for 90 days, 120 days. There have been some years when they never did agree on a new a funding level for the government, and they just operated on a continuing resolution for, for the entire 12 months that's happened in the past. That, you know, it's not a great way to run an operation, but it's but at least it keeps things uh, from completely falling apart. And I think, as I said, I think there are some Republicans in Congress who think it calls attention to themselves. These are people who think chaos helps their party um, and helps them personally. They get more attention. Uh, that that's and they're kind of running things, and the reason, of course, is that Kevin McCarthy has a four-seat majority. So it only takes Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and Lauren Boebert and four or five others to basically say we're not going to vote for anything, and that's essentially mm-hmm. what they're saying right now. No blank check for Ukraine. That's another one here. That's now. another one. So there's uh, they're fighting over Ukraine. Believe it or not, they're fighting over disaster relief money. There are Republicans what? who think we speak. Yeah, they're 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 saying that this. So what's happening, by the way, is that this is really all on the uh, in in the hands of the House of Representatives. The Senate is poised to pass a bipartisan continuing resolution. They're going to they want to keep the government operating for forty five days. They pro, they they voted on I think it was Tuesday of this week seventy eight votes for that bill to move forward. It didn't pass, but it was uh, to move it forward to the Senate floor. Big bipartisan majority, and I'm not in love with Senate Republicans, but they at least, most of them, not all of them, uh, agreed to keep the government operating past the Saturday midnight deadline. The House hasn't done anything like that, and right mm-hmm. now they're, it looks like they're not going to. And they, McCarthy announced yesterday he would not put the Senate bill on the House floor. He, he wants to pass his own uh, bill if he can, but it's nowhere in it's not there's no way they can agree with the senate it's dead on arrival the president won't sign whatever the house passes 
Uh, and so we're looking at, a, at an absolute breakdown in the process because of House Republicans. I got to hand it to you, though. You uh, you really called the shots on this one back in June because there was that deal that McCarthy made with Biden to raise the debt ceiling. And we all thought it was done. But you told us on this show that no, 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 there's this group. And this is exactly what we're talking about now that was unhappy. They want more cuts. So let, let's dig into this a little deeper. I was reading earlier what the uh, far right wants to do and basically in a nutshell, they're attacking the poor. I guess they want what they want to cut like more than one hundred fifty billion dollars in. Uh, oh, that's in right. So th- it, yeah, back in June when McCarthy and Biden agreed to raise the debt ceiling, that was really to stave off an international financial crisis. If you know other governments couldn't count on the U.S. to pay its bills, which is what was at stake then, that would really cascade into into a big financial calamity. So the Republicans kind of gave in to Biden. Uh, and all, all Biden asked for at the time was, let's continue funding the government at the current levels, as I said. That, that'll be our agreement until the next election. Within days, uh, uh, McCarthy started to backpedal. His right-wing group, extremists, attacked him for signing that debt ceiling deal. That's when it became clear it was going to be very difficult for him to pull that off again. That's why I predicted back in June this, would, this is where we'd be in, uh, in September, and sure enough, here we are. Um, so I, you know, I, I think he's, he, you know, he's sort of written his own epitaph here. You know, he said we're going to cut a hundred, another hundred billion dollars. Uh, Twenty. Now they're asking for a twenty-seven percent cut in domestic spending. That's food stamps, the people who make sure our water is clean, food safety, border security, the FBI. You name it. Twenty-seven percent cut. That's what the Republicans are demanding now. Medicaid would be slashed. Food stamps, women and infant children feeding programs. I mean, I think that this is really a, a part of the Republican Party really wants to go back to the 19th century, and uh, they. That I can't explain it. You know, I get tongue-tied just kind of trying to <laughs> trying to put words to this, but that's that's where they are. And so I think, yeah. as I said, some of them are looking forward to a shutdown. Yeah, yeah, they they want it all to uh, to come to a halt here, and it may happen. It may happen. Bill Samuel, Government Affairs Director, of the AFL CIO, AFL CIO. .org is our website. We'll uh, continue our discussion with Bill. Later in the show, we're going to check in with an individual who's contracted with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, helping them out with mental health issues. And this is Suicide Prevention Month. This is a series of interviews we're doing on America's Workforce to uh, call attention to this issue and make sure people get the resources that they need. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Ironworkers. You can find more at ironworkers.org. Union members need to be heard. Reliable and convenient union voting has never been more important than it is now. Make voting easy for your membership by working with survey and ballot systems. 
SPS offers encrypted and monitored solutions that ensure your elections are accurate and accessible for every member through mail-in, online, and in-person voting. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com and take the next step in getting secure and auditable elections. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, where you can find more at teamster.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The The United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the U.S., US, Canada, Canada, and and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers. Standing strong and fighting for what's right. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the United Auto Workers. Find more at uaw.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrance with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least five platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and Pandora. And when you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the North Coast Labor Federation. Let's go back to Washington rejoin Bill Samuel on behalf of the AFL-CIO, where he serves as government affairs director. Uh, I know we talked a lot about the government shutdown, but th- there's a footnote here. Now, the uh, far right, they want to impeach Biden because of his son. They don't have any evidence to connect the two, but they also want to take away money from the groups or the Justice Department because of their, quote, unprecedented weaponization of the Justice Department and the FBI. In other words, leave Donald Trump alone. Am I, am I reading this correctly here, Bill? That's exactly right. About 10 days ago, Kevin McCarthy, after saying he would uh, ask the House to vote on whether to uh, initiate uh, impeachment inquiry of the president. He just announced that he was going ahead with the inquiry, and he did that to try to buy off support for government funding from Matt Gates and some of the other Freedom Caucus members who want to go after uh, President Biden. At the same time, we've got a group wanting to defund the, the prosecution of President Trump, where there is plenty of evidence of wrongdoing. So yeah, they they a lot of this gets mixed up in this fight over government funding. But again, they're playing to their base. There are you have to assume there are people back home who either don't want to see an investigation of Trump, they want to see Biden, you know, put in handcuffs and this, this is all getting mixed up in this fight over whether or not we should be funding the government, the basic functions of our government. Amazing. Just amazing. In the meantime, let's let's focus on what happened with the Biden-Harris administration in the first couple of years when we had Democrats in both the House as well as the Senate in the majority. We've had some good policies here, and uh, those policies kind of ground to a halt here because of the craziness that's going on. Um, what I want to reference is the implementation of those policies. We're talking the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, and the Bipartisan Infrastructure Law. How are we doing on those uh, on those policies, Bill? Well, they're moving along. You know, it's 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 a slow process. Where you know the government is investing in our economy. They're investing. It's investing in manufacturing. 
Uh, the transition to clean energy, making sure those jobs go along with it, the good union jobs, uh, and, uh, tra- transitioning to electric vehicles. Uh, this is obviously something that's great concern to the auto workers. They want to make sure these are good jobs like the ones that may be phasing out. Uh, the Biden administration has been very careful with the implementation. I think their their goal is to make sure all these new jobs, and there will be probably two to three million of them, that they are good union jobs, although we're going to have to uh, supercharge our organizing efforts because it, that doesn't happen automatically, of course. Um, but right, in the first two years uh, under President Biden, the Democrats in Congress passed uh, really ro- a remarkable series of, of bills about almost $4 trillion. And that includes the American Rescue Plan, which, you know, helped get us through the pandemic. Um, All this is, you know, kind of moving along, um, you know, quietly, I suppose you could say. There are some ribbon cuttings and, uh, you know, that that sort of thing around the country. You have the big uh, Intel plant in Ohio that's been announced, and this this kind of thing is happening all over the country. The jobs are slow to come online. They're probably... You know, hundreds of thousands of construction jobs. These plants are now, uh, the construction's underway. They're almost all union. You talk to the building trades in Ohio. I think they'll tell you there are more people working than there have been in decades. And then, and then manufacturing will, will come along later, probably be three, four years down the road when those plants are up uh, and we need people uh, on, on, in manufacturing uh, and processing. So it's, that's all good news. You know, the, the government funding probably won't interrupt that, we hope. Hopefully that money is going to get spent and those jobs are going to be created. But if this shutdown goes on long enough, it could. It could slow down permitting, uh, licensing, uh, all the kinds of the things that go into these uh, federally funded projects. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's, uh, the, the shutdown may interrupt the implementation of the laws that you mentioned, the Infrastructure, Chips and Science, uh, and the Inflation Reduction Act. Bill, speaking of those policies, if you don't mind, I I noticed a couple of comments. And, of course, this is being led by Donald Trump, that the administration is going too fast on EVs, electric vehicles. They're too expensive. And, well, obviously, they want to stick with the fossil fuel industry because I think that's where their bread and butter is. But I'm just wondering, with all that rhetoric going on, is that going to slow it down, in your opinion? Well, it, it, I mean, certainly if the Democrats lose control of the Congress and a Republican is elected president, they could repeal a lot of this. But, you know, these jobs are being – they're just going to go to China regardless. You know, China and uh, Asian countries are pioneering the electric battery industry, the EV uh, car industry, uh, the, the semiconductor industry already moved offshore. It's not like we can hold on to those jobs if we don't invest in them in the U.S. So you've got Republicans saying we're spending too much money, the transition is 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 uh, is too fast. You know, but these jobs are going to are going to remain offshore or continue to go offshore if we don't invest in U.S. manufacturing. It's not like we have a choice here. And I think the Republicans are just led by Donald Trump are just their heads in the sand to think that we can just remain, you know, stay where we are and 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 remain the world leader in manufacturing uh, uh, and scientific and technological discovery, because that's not going to happen unless we invest in those new industries. And that's what President Biden and the Dem- mostly Democrats in Congress uh, have set out to do. Yeah, there is a future in that industry, no doubt about it. All right, one more uh, topic here, and we touched on this briefly in the first segment uh, on the border wall and in the importance, but this is a bigger picture. This is immigration. And I understand there's a, there's some talking about temporary protected status for people out of Venezuela. 
Um, uh, and, uh, you know, one of these days we're going to have a serious debate on immigration. I mean, it's got to be done. It's long overdue. But where where are we right now, even though there's this chaos going on? Yeah, well, the pre- I, you know, this is a very difficult issue. There are a lots of people uh, coming to the border. Some are escaping violence, uh, natural disasters, oppression. Uh, they're seeking asylum here. Um, Democrats are trying to create a, uh, you know, a program to deal with those people, to house them, to, and to make sure they can work if they're, in fact, uh, granted asylum. Those are those, that's temporary protect, protected status that allows them into the uh, U.S., gives them work uh, permits. And we need workers. Um, you know, we've got very low unemployment right now. There are a lot of jobs going on, Phil, particularly low-skilled low jobs. Um, Republicans just, you know, again, their heads in the sand. They think we can just build a wall and keep them out. That's not going to happen. They're going to keep coming. It's a humanitarian crisis in a lot of, of our cities now where we've got uh, uh, this migrant surge in New York and Chicago and uh, uh, San Francisco, Los Angeles. They're here. Uh, we need to make sure they can work and, and get health care. Uh, and that their kids are can you know can be at least begin to get an education. Uh, the Republicans again, they just want to keep them out, and that's not going to happen. That's just uh, it's a fantasy to think that we can build a wall around our country and keep people out physically. They're going to find ways to get in, uh, and we have to figure out a way to deal with that and also uh, help those countries stabilize the countries from you know that they're coming from. That's the, our foreign aid is necessary. Republicans want to cut that, which just you know, means more uh, immigration to the United States. Uh, but we need a coherent policy, and that's what you said. We've tried to pass comprehensive immigration reform uh, going back to uh, the late 1990s, early 2000s, and, and the, we just haven't found the right, uh, the, right, the right method that can get all sides to the table to do that. But we're going to keep trying. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, it's very sad that uh, that hasn't been addressed. Instead, we're looking at a possible shutdown. Right. Bill Samuel. Government Affairs Director of the AFL-CIO. Again, national website. Do check it out, aflcio.org, for complete updates. You take care. We'll talk again at the end of October. Okay, brother? Thanks. Thanks very much. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Roy Liggett will be joining us. He is contracted with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters. He's going to explain what he is doing to help their members right after this. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with Layuna. Find out what it takes for Layuna to keep America running at Layuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AFGE. 
www.americanfederation.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. America's Workforce is brought to you in part by the Heat and Frost Insulators Labor Management Cooperative Trust. Find out more at insulators.org forward slash LMCT. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwatterson.com. America's Workforce is presented by the Labor's International Union of North America. Feel the power right now at liuna.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter or X. And that would be AWF Union Podcast. AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part by the United Labor Agency, ulagency.org. Let's go to line number two right now. Joining us from uh, Virginia today is Roy Liggett. Roy started a company not too long ago called Aviation Operations Solutions. He's a retired pilot with United Airlines, and he's contracted with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, their airline division, which covers a lot of a lot of folks here, 80,000 in the airline division of the Teamsters. We're talking about mechanics, customer service, ramp agents, flight attendants, even their pilots. Roy, welcome to America's Workforce. I'd like to, uh, every time I bring a new guest on the show, I'd like to find out a little bit more on who they are, how they got involved in what they're doing. Let's let's talk about this. So you were a pilot for how long, and how did you get connected with the Teamsters? Go ahead. Sure thing. Um, I uh, started flying in 1957, if you can believe that. Uh, I uh, went to Embry-Riddle and Aeronautical Institute, uh, took uh, aeronautical engineering. Then I went to Auburn University, where I took aviation management, uh, and also was a flight instructor in their flight training program. Uh, from there, I was hired by United Airlines. Uh, uh, started out as a flight engineer on the old DC-6, DC-7 fleets, which had the the propellers sticking out on the wings. Uh, went from there to co-pilot on a Boeing 727 and Boeing 737. Made captain, uh, who is a captain, does on the 737. And eventually, then my last airplane was a Boeing 777. In the meantime, I was selected to go into management uh, where I trained and checked uh, new pilots. Uh, from there, I became the chief pilot in Washington, D.C., uh, where I retired uh, 21 years ago and uh, started my company in 2003 with uh, three other individuals. And uh, probably the, big, the biggest thing we did, have done so far, at least, is uh, you probably noticed during the uh, spill on the Gulf of Mexico, spill on the Gulf of Mexico, uh, airplanes sprang that. That's a program we put together for the oil industry. Uh, in the meantime, I uh, David Bourne, who was then the head of the uh, airline division of the Teamsters, and I had been old friends, and he uh, asked me to take over some of the, as a contractor, some of the uh, areas. Uh, for example, I do the manage the, the program for uh, drug and alcohol abuse by pilots. 
Um, I also teach professional standards for airline pilots and the critical incident response program. Those are my three areas of responsibility for the Teamsters. And I've been doing that now for uh, probably five or six years. Sounds like you got a lot on your resume, brother. That's pretty. That's pretty interesting. Um, let Let's zero in on drug and alcohol abuse because sure. this is, you know, this is a suicide prevention month, and we've had a number of experts in the field, unions that have have uh, done great work as far as getting messages out that there's help. There is a lot of help for members who. Uh, may get addicted to alcohol or drugs and think of maybe ending their own life. But let, let's talk about what you're doing and, and, and how prevalent is it, especially in the airline industry? Can you speak to that? Well, I don't think it's any more prevalent in the airline industry than it is in the general public. Um, the big, I think the big issue out there today is depression which is just true in the general population to be the most predominant mental health issue. Uh, also, uh, also among airline pilots, it's the same. The, the lifestyle uh, probably contributes to some extent. In other words, you're away from home, you're away from your family setting and so forth. And um, a, lot of, a lot of temptations, uh, you know, spring forth. Um, and so that probably contributes to the fact that pilots have that problem too. Um, most of the major air carriers now have uh, pilot mental health programs in place, and um, they're very, very effective. Um, they don't uh, treat uh, the, the uh, health, mental health problem uh, directly, but what they do is they find resources for somebody who for example, doesn't know quite where to turn. And you have to keep in mind, for pilots going down to the nearest strip mall where there's a, a doctor and checking in and saying, hey, I've, have, you know, I've been having depression and all this, this can be career-ending. Uh, you have to have somebody who not only knows that subject, but also knows and understands the ins and outs of the Federal Aviation Administration. So... Um, for example, if you can just put the wrong code down when you're coding for the insurance company and the guy may, or gal at that point may be out of work for a year just because of that alone. So you have to have somebody who's intimately familiar, not only with mental health problems, but also with how the FAA operates. So does your company kind of uh, bridge the divide there, help them out so they don't lose? their position with the airline? Well, that's that's our purpose here, and that, that's one of the things that we do with the Teamsters. <clears throat> we have a number of individuals who are professionals in the mental health area but are also intimately familiar with the uh, system, as, if you will, and uh, know what to put down and what not to put down that, that will alert the FAA. At the same time, you have to be very, very cautious that you're being, you know, I mean, you have people's lives in your hands, so you have to be cautious that you you do this the right way and we don't let somebody go back in the cockpit who's not ready to. Uh, and sometimes this can take up, to, I've seen four years to get back in the cockpit because they're extremely cautious 
about who we let in the airplanes. Um, so yes, uh, we do. We do help uh, bridge that. So Roy, okay, we talked about the pilots, but the airline division of the Teamsters goes beyond that. We're talking uh, mechanics, customer service, ramp agents, flight attendants. Uh, your services are available to all of those in those various departments. And how has that been working? If that's the case, that is correct. Um, if you are a member of Teamsters and you call me because you need some help with either drug and alcohol problems or depression or whatever, I will get you help. I don't care whether you're a flight attendant, a mechanic there, or what you do. That That's what we're here for. We have really had very few opportunities. Uh, haven't been contacted by very many people that aren't pilots. Um, so I, I, I don't know whether... You know, the information about how to contact me is out there. In fact, I'm glad this came up because I will raise this as an issue um, today uh, to talk about. Let's let's get the information out there as to where all these people can get help because we want everybody to get the help they need in the team. That's for sure. Roy, I'm glad we brought you to the table today because this is a very important issue and we got to get that information out. And we've been focusing on this all through the month of September because September is a suicide prevention month. And there's a lot of resources out there. I'm glad we came across yours. Aviation Operations Solutions. Can I ask you this? Now, are you just working with the Teamsters right now? Are you open to uh, other unions at this point? Or and do you have the do you have the manpower to to handle that kind of thing? Well, the company started out with four of us. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the other three, one, one gentleman has retired and uh, the other two have passed away. So I'm a one-man operation now. But, yes, I am certainly open to, uh, you know, to help anybody who needs, needs the help uh, in the aviation industry. And in fact, anybody who's not in the aviation industry, if they were to uh, have a problem and call me up, I would find a help for for sure. Good, good, good. Well, I'm glad uh, you came here today uh, to talk to our listeners about this, because especially with pilots, I mean, everybody's concerned. You want to make sure that your pilot is okay. And if that person is not okay, that they're getting the help. But again, it is very delicate, because if they ask for help, they can lose their job because of the restrictions with the Federal Aviation Administration. It's quite fascinating. So uh, I'll tell you what, please keep in touch with us. Aviation Operations Solutions, just check that out on the web. Is that the best way to go? Yes, it is. Okay, real good. Well, hang in there. Keep in touch with us, okay, Roy? Okay, will do. And thank you very much for the opportunity. Okay, that's uh, Roy Liggett on behalf of Aviation Operations Solutions. And uh, he's contracted with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, one of the many proud sponsors right here on America's Workforce. That'll be it for another edition of the show. Speaking of which, tomorrow, a very special edition. The people we featured on this show throughout the month of September, collectively, what they are doing on mental health and preventing suicide. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening. And be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.